0: The sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on November 27, 2016, on the basis of Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Exactly four weeks from today, it'll be just like this. You'll be sitting there, I'll be standing here, except, of course, it'll be Christmas. Four weeks. 28 days, 672 hours in case you didn't bring your calculator with you this morning. Does that make you a little bit nervous as you think about everything that you need to get done between now and then? Me too. But don't worry, as as I sat there this weekend in sort of a semi-comatose state from all of the turkey that I had consumed, I came up with this brilliant Idea for how we can get everything done. Between now and Christmas, just don't sleep. I mean, think about it. Even if you're averaging just a a measly six hours a night, between now and Christmas, you will gain back 168 total hours if you just don't sleep. That's seven full extra days to get everything done. For once, you will feel like you're ahead of schedule. For once, you will feel as though you're on top of all of the details. For once, you'll be the person that everyone else resents this time of year because of how together and on top of it they seem to be. Of course, going without sleep between now and Christmas might come at a pretty steep price. The effects of of long-term sleep deprivation are really nothing to mess around with. Usually it starts with things like fatigue and irritability and difficulty concentrating. Maybe that sounds sort of like a Thursday afternoon, I'm not sure. But if you push through those side effects of sleep deprivation, you get into some pretty serious stuff. Eventually you experience things like extreme disorientation, impaired judgment, slurred speech, even full-blown hallucinations. It's no wonder that, that sometimes prolonged sleep deprivation is used as a form of torture. And in fact, a lot of biologists think that running on absolutely zero sleep would eventually kill a person about as fast as getting no water would. So maybe it's not such a great idea to go without sleep between now and Christmas. And, and thankfully, Jesus isn't asking us to do that this morning. He's actually asking us to do a lot more. He's asking us to wait and watch for his return no matter how long it takes, and to do so without falling asleep. Really, as we begin a new church here today, we're sort of standing right on the front end of our annual effort, our annual program to do that very thing. In other words, not just four weeks without sleep, but the next 52 weeks without any sleep. Really, as we begin a new church year, we're kind of saying, okay, Jesus, I've, I've been waiting for years and years and years already, but okay, count me in for one more year. One more year of watching and waiting. One more year of vigilant devotion to God's word and his sacraments so that he can keep us close to him. One more year of vigilant battle against all of the devil's lies and temptations so that he can't lure us away from our God. One more year of perpetual spiritual sleep deprivation. And so it's a good thing that we're starting that year exactly where we are today. In fact, for for hundreds of years, the Christian church has started its year with the episode... That's in front of us today. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, sometimes referred to as his triumphal entry. I don't know about you, but maybe it seems a little bit out of place looking at this story in Advent rather than in Lent, rather than leading up to Holy Week and Easter. And yet there's a reason that the church begins its year this way. It's because maybe more than any other event during the life and ministry of Jesus, this is A quintessential event that completely embodies exactly who Jesus is, exactly what Jesus came to do, exactly why that benefits us, and exactly why we should listen when Jesus asks for our perpetual spiritual sleep deprivation as we wait for his return. Like I said, it maybe doesn't sound very Christmassy to be talking about Palm Sunday today, but But I would guess that any major retailer, whether that's Amazon or Target or Walmart, would absolutely die for a Black Friday ad campaign that is as successful as the publicity that Jesus gained with this event. I mean, everything about it was orchestrated perfectly. The timing was perfect. Jesus had just performed his most impressive miracle. He had raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. At the same time, it was the week of the Passover celebration, the biggest holiday of the year, which meant that tens of thousands of pilgrims were in Jerusalem. And Jesus was the number one trending topic of conversation. It was the perfect timing. It, it was the perfect setting. Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem, the, the capital city of Israel, the center of political and religious Power, the city that the people of Israel associated with their glory days. It' was perfect timing, perfect setting. And the way that the events transpired was perfect, too. Jesus didn't have everything planned ahead. Instead, he, he sort of, on the spur of the moment, arranges for his transportation by commandeering someone's donkey, making it clear that when Jesus asks for something yeah he expects that he's going to get it jesus orchestrated this event down to every last detail because he wanted to send a very clear message he was saying i am your king and it worked didn't it i mean the the parade that develops sort of rivals one of those parades that you have in chicago when your baseball team wins the World Series for the first time in 108 years. They are laying out their coats in his path. They are waving their palm branches as he passes by. They are in perfect unison chanting their hometown cheers, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was very clearly saying to them, I am your king. And just as clearly, we see that they agreed. Okay, so what about us? Like I said, this this kind of publicity stunt is sort of right at home in the month of December. And in fact, during this month of December, more than any time of year, there are dozens and dozens of voices competing with Jesus. Dozens and dozens of things, dozens and dozens of people saying, no, I am your king. Make me your king. Give me your time, your energy, your money, your devotion. Some of those voices are the voices of materialism. That that blockbuster Black Friday deal. That giant flat screen TV that's exactly like the one that you currently have except that it's just two inches bigger. The latest and greatest phone and tablet and device and video game system, all of them are saying, make me your king. Give me your devotion. Others are the voices of acceptance, having everything go absolutely perfectly when you host the family Christmas dinner, wonderful food, beautiful decorations, a spotlessly clean house, having everyone think of you as the perfect host or hostess, finding just the right gift for your child or for your significant other so that their eyes light up with gratitude when they open it. Having the most fun and exciting Christmas party for your close circle of friends—all—all all of those are saying, "Make me your king. Give me your devotion." Finally, still others are, are the voices of achievement. Finishing out the work year strong so that you maximize your year-end bonus, meeting all of the deadlines so that the boss is pleased and impressed with your performance. Even—even even something as simple as having the biggest and brightest light display on the block, all of them are saying, make me your king. Give me your devotion. And if you're anything like me, you'd have to admit that, that all too often you listen, right? You probably wouldn't say that out loud, that your TV or your year-end bonus or your popularity is your king, but, but finally when we check the tape, when we check the records, we maybe see a little bit of a different story, Right? We check our our December calendar and see what is filling up our time. We check our December bank statement and credit card bill. We check that running log of all the things that are on our mind, all the things that we're trying to juggle, all the things that are adding stress. We keep track of all the reasons that that we actually decide to lose sleep during December. All those things that we're trying to accomplish by staying up just a, a little bit later or waking up just a little bit earlier. How much evidence is there that that Jesus is my king in December? How much evidence is there that that someone else or something else is my king in December? And one thing that the Palm Sunday story makes clear is that Jesus is not content to compromise. He does not want to be co-regent with our flat-screen TVs and our popularity and our year-end bonuses. He wants to sit on that throne in your heart un rivaled and alone. That's the first thing that we we see from this Palm Sunday story, but really in and of itself that would do absolutely nothing to change our hearts and change our lives if not for the second thing that we learn from this Palm Sunday story. I mean, yes, on the one hand, as as we look at what Jesus did, we might say that in terms of its short-term effect, it was absolutely brilliant as a, a marketing strategy or campaign, but as we look at it with perfect twenty twenty hindsight, we might also be able to say that it was a little bit short-sighted. I mean, yes, Jesus was riding into the capital city, the city of Jerusalem where crowds of people were buzzing about him. But that was also the city where his enemies were waiting for him. It was also the city where that very same buzz caused those enemies to want to kill Jesus even more. Yes, there were crowds of people following Jesus and accompanying him, but, but none of them were the intellectual or wealthy elite in Israel. None of them were educated. None of them were powerful. None of them were armed or trained for battle. In fact, all of them proved to be very, very fickle, including his most loyal followers. And finally, yes, Jesus arranged for this impromptu, spur-of-the-moment transportation into Jerusalem, but it wasn't on a mighty war horse. It wasn't a brand-new, shiny, four-wheel-drive chariot. It was a donkey. It was a beast of burden. It was the kind of animal suited only for a servant. And, of course, none of that was by accident. All of that was exactly according to plan, and all of that was exactly according to what God had promised. See your king Comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. I mean, normally a king carries out his rule through things like wealth and power and conquest. Jesus carries out his rule through weakness, poverty, and defeat. And maybe more than any other event in Jesus' life, what happened on Palm Sunday demonstrates it so perfectly. I mean, yes, he is riding into Jerusalem saying, I am your king. But at the very same time, he is willingly handing himself over to his enemies. He is willingly handing himself over to his own death. Yes, Jesus came to be a king, but a king unlike any other. Friends, what that means for you and me is that in this month of December, when there are so many competing voices demanding our time and energy and devotion, trying to take our sleep away, even though there are dozens and dozens of voices like that, those voices are not identical voices. Those voices are not equal voices. When materialism or acceptance or achievement comes to you and says, make me your king, give me your devotion, it does so in exactly the way that you would expect. Those things say, you are here to serve me. You do what I expect, and if you do, if your performance is up to par, then I will give you, as a reward, what I have to offer. And of course, the more we pursue those things, the more dissatisfied with them we become. And as a result, the more tirelessly we pursue those things, the more exhausted and frustrated we become. In contrast, Jesus says to you, I am here to serve you. And everything that I have, I came to give you. Not as a reward that needs to be earned, but as a gift. A gift without any cost, a gift without any catches, a gift without any strings attached. You want riches? I'll give you an eternal mansion in a city whose streets are lined with gold. You want acceptance? I will give you a perfect status before the Father in heaven. One where he looks at you and is far more than just satisfied. One where he is pleased and proud of his own dear child. You want achievement? For all eternity, I'll sit you on a throne in heaven right next to mine. Yes, Jesus came to be a king but a king unlike any other. And friends, that's how and that's why we can wait for him without ever falling asleep. The last two Saturday mornings, I have spent the early morning hours out in the woods with the rest of Wisconsin's hunters, hoping that that trophy buck comes trotting along. And, of course, on any other Saturday of the year, I would guess that, that 95% of us, including me, would prefer to spend those last hours of darkness sound asleep in bed. And, I, in fact, I think trying to wake us up on most Saturdays would prove to be futile. But not on the Saturdays of deer hunting season, right? When the alarm goes off, there's, there's an excitement and an eagerness, and, in fact, when you're out in the woods and, it, and it's pitch black, but then it slowly starts to transition to daylight, and the clock ticks down to that moment when you can first start shooting your weapon, the the excitement only grows, and you become more alert and more awake because of the anticipation of what daylight will bring. Friends, how can you and I wait, no matter how long it takes for Jesus to return, without ever falling asleep? Because believe it or not, the Bible actually describes our lives here on earth as that kind of moment but permanently frozen in time. On certain points of the year, the planet Venus appears just over the eastern horizon shortly before the sun comes up. And for a very brief amount of time, that that planet Venus brilliantly and brightly reflects the light of the sun before dawn actually arrives. And for that reason, in ancient times, they actually referred to Venus as the morning star. Its presence in the sky signaled and heralded that daylight was on the way. So, friends, yes, God says to you, "Night is nearly over." He says, "Day is almost here." Day is almost here. He says, "Watch and wait for my return, without falling asleep." But there's one very important detail that we need to remember. The Bible actually calls Jesus the morning star. And because of his presence, that morning star has already risen in the sky. We live our lives in that moment. Not only did Jesus come once in the flesh, but even now here today he comes to you in the very same way. He still rides into your hearts, gentle, like a servant, on on a donkey, as it were. During these 52 weeks of the upcoming church year, you won't see a lot of, of flash or glitz or glamour here in God's house. Instead, Jesus still comes gently and humbly. He comes through these words and enters into your heart. Through this simple water of baptism, he delivers to you all of the blessings of what he did on the cross. Through ordinary bread and wine, he brings to you the priceless gift of his body and blood. So friends, it's not just that Jesus tells us not to fall asleep. His continual power and presence in our lives is the very thing that keeps us awake. And may he grant it until the day of his return. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.